Hello out there! It's time for the Hockey Minute, your source for all of today's hockey news with some opinion. Strap in for the fastest news in the NHL. This episode is proudly brought to you by fucking nobody. We don't have any sponsors. Now, here's your hosts, Brandon and Ryan. And here we are. Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey Minute. I'm your host, Brandon, and with me, as always, my co-host, Ryan. And today we're excited to be having a fun conversation with Jack Manning of the Golden Knights Watch. Jack has been writing and podcasting about hockey since 2013. He went on to found the podcast and blog Golden Knights Watch in 2018, which can be found at goldennightswatch.com. Jack specializes in the Vegas Golden Knight prospect coverage and is also a licensed attorney in Nevada. He used to be a comedian in a show at the fabulous Excalibur Hotel and Casino, which he notes has the honor of being the only fake castle in Nevada that also doubles as a meth lab. <laughs> Jack, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Glad, glad to be here and glad to, to get a shout out to the old Excalibur. That, uh, that place has left me with a lot of good memories and a few bad scars. It's all the, all the math. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like an absolute adventure. Uh, I definitely want to get into your, uh, your doubling as an attorney in Las Vegas, because that sounds like it's an absolute gong show, but we should probably touch on a little bit of hockey first. Yeah, let's, let's do hockey first, and we'll, we'll see if there's time to talk about uh, the, the nuts I run into on a daily basis. That's, that's perfect. So, uh, Jack, what, what prospects do you think have actually earned a shot with the, the big club with Vegas? Yeah, so so Vegas is uh, it's in an interesting position, right? They they had three uh, first half of the first round picks in the 2017 draft with Cody Glass, Nick Suzuki, and Eric Brandstrom, and since then they've traded away two of those top picks, obviously Eric Brandstrom and Nick Suzuki, to bring in Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. So the only blue chip prospect that's really knocking on the door right now for the Golden Knights is Cody Glass. He made his debut with the Golden Knights earlier this year, but all things considered, he had a pretty lackluster season. I think he had something like 11 points, and he suffered some, not serious injuries, but season-ending injuries anyway. So right now, it's been uh, it's been pretty barren, but Nick Haig has been a, a nice surprise. Um, even at six foot seven, he his skating has really developed. He's got a, a cannon of a shot, and he, he's going to turn out to be a nice top four player in the in the next few uh, few years. And then we've got a couple of other guys knocking on the door. A pair of fifth round picks from the twenty seventeen draft: uh, Jack Dugan, who led the NCAA in scoring this year, and Lucas Elvenis, who for most of the season led the AHL in scoring for uh, for rookies. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Cody Glass actually because. You mentioned the two players that they traded away, and it's really it's a rare situation to have an expansion team come in and they make the finals the first year, and it seems like right away they're in win now mode. So, is there any concern about trading two blue chip prospects to get two guys, which they did get under contract? But you just mentioned Cody Glass, and then I mean Peyton Krebs was your first rounder last year, and and he looks like he could be a player, but. I mean, is there any concern about the youth movement moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who has been a hockey fan for a long time who follows the Golden Knights recognizes that there's a little bit of risk to what they're doing. Uh, but they had so many draft picks in those first uh, first three drafts that you know, even though they don't have you know those two really high end guys, they traded away. Mark Stone's still only 27, and he's under contract for the next seven years. So. I think it's hard to complain about the Eric Branstrom trade. Um, even if Eric Branstrom does turn into a, a very high-end blue liner in the future, it's really hard to get better in terms of a, a defensive forward than Mark Stone. 
when it comes to Nick, to Nick Suzuki, he's coming off of, I think, what was projected to be about a 60-point season as a rookie. Uh, that one's a little bit harder to swallow. With Max Pacioretty being 31, almost 32, it's going to be a, a not a very long time before Nick Suzuki is probably the more valuable player uh, as compared to Max Pacioretty. So that one's a little bit tougher. But because of the success they've had later on in the draft, particularly with those two fifth-round guys and and having the luck of getting Peyton Krebs falling to them at, at 17th last year, uh, I don't think they're. I don't think the team has much reason to be terrified, but they really do need to to pick up a couple of high end guys this summer. And my other question with Glass was just like, what's the ceiling for this kid? Because your forward group, your top six, is pretty much set. Right. And is is Cody Glass going to bump one of those guys out? Like it, it seems kind of tough. I mean, his numbers this year weren't great, and as we've seen with other teams, sometimes it's good to have a sheltered prospect, but. In order for him to grow, he's going to eventually have to get some some big minutes here. Yeah, I, th- I think you're you're exactly right. And at the very beginning of this year, Glass was playing in between Pacioretty and Stone, so he couldn't have asked for two better line mates. And it, it, that ten game sample where where he was playing as the second line center, he looked fantastic. And I think that he could really pretty easily replace uh, Paul Stastny in that role um, as early as next year. Paul Stastny's, all, I think, thirty five going into this coming season. Uh, and he really hasn't produced at, at the same way that he did uh, early on in his career. He, he's only been about a 40-point player the last five or six years. So uh, I think Cody Glass can ex- can exceed that. And if the only thing that's holding Cody Glass back right now is uh, a serious lack of man strength. He's still a bit of a little boy. He's 20 years old. Um, just doesn't have the ability to, to fight guys off the way he needs to and the way he would have in junior. But I think that's something that goes away with a little bit of time in the gym. He's going to have about seven months of recovery since his last injury before training camp starts for next season. So I've got I've got a good feeling that he's going to be a much better player in, in his sophomore campaign. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> now, I wanted to just uh, just ask about the city a little bit. And admittedly, I'm a Capitals fan, so I'm... Uh, sore subject maybe but yeah, yeah I was, that hurts. Uh, <laughs> hey, you're talking to two guys in vancouver where if we lose we burn the city down so <laughs> i didn't see anything like that um i wanted to ask you what was the um what's the city done here i mean to embrace the team and and is there any concerns about the NFL coming as well as the NBA, I'm, I'm sure is looking at the, the setup and, and probably wondering when they can get in there as well. Yeah. You know, growing up here, there was always this persistent belief that there were never going to be any major league sports in Vegas. Uh, I, I'm born and raised here in Vegas. It was about 250,000 people when I was uh, born in 85 and now it's just over two and a half million people. So it's grown quite a bit. And when, when the golden Knights came to town, they really grabbed this city in a way that I don't think any other team really could have. I think everyone knows that the horrible tragedy that happened on October 1st, 2017 with the shooting at the, the, uh, the concert here in Vegas, um, that created a situation for the golden Knights where they had an opportunity to, to really step in and become part of the community and help the city heal. And and they took that responsibility seriously. I, I have a hard time believing that the NFL is going to ever take away the fans that the golden Knights have. Um, especially because the, the price point for tickets to 
uh, to Raiders games are, are absolutely ridiculous. The lowest cost Raiders tickets were 30000 for the season uh, for the first year out. Um, and for lower bowl seats at the at T-Mobile, you're looking at you know, 5000 for the season. So I think it's going to be really tough for the NFL to compete and steal fans, uh, especially as we're going to be in a pretty rough economy over the next uh, two to three years. To, I mean, to give you guys a, a you know an idea of what it was like in Vegas pre Golden Knights, uh, I was looking f- uh, for any bar in the city during the 2016 uh, playoffs, any to any bar in the city that would just play the games, and I couldn't find a single bar to do it. Uh, then come the playoffs in 2018, and obviously the Golden Knights were there, but the entire city would shut down just to watch these Golden Knights game, like nothing I've ever seen. And it was the first time that Vegas ever really had an identity of its own, something that was designed for the people of Las Vegas. Everything before that was always about the tourist, always about the people coming into town. There was never really anything for those of us that, you know, that live and work here. So that change has really brought about a stronger community feel both in the rink and out, outside of it. So there's there's obviously a natural ebb and flow to every sports franchise, right? As they they build up towards a contender and then they they move back towards rebuilding. Do you think that once Vegas finally kind of crests the hill and moves back towards rebuilding, you'll start to see some more apathy within the fan base there? Yeah, you know, I I think that's inevitable. I think every fan base you don't want to show up to it. You don't want to show up to a, an arena to watch your team lose. That's just not as much fun. Um, but at the same time, I think they've really developed a, a a nice young fan base. They've done a really good job of going out and getting young kids involved uh, in rec hockey. And I think that's the key to, to making lifelong fans. You can suffer through a bad season if you love the game, but if you're just there to, to watch the team win, like they, like they were in year one, you know, that that's harder to do. So I think they made the right choice in going for it early on. I think that's going to make the fan base uh, that much more interested during the tough times. I think you would have had a really hard time filling the stadium, especially this year and next, if they were a, a dumpster fire and a basement dweller for the first two or three years. Can you see the, the Golden Knights becoming aggressive and, and making a move to acquire a top three pick in order to kind of keep their, their winning run going? Oh, I, you know, nothing would make me happier. I, I find it hard to believe that any team would trade away a top three pick, especially in today's cap world. But the Golden Knights have never been shy about trading up to get picks. They, they famously, right. uh, in 2017, were trying to trade up from six to five, uh, where the uh, where the Canucks ultimately picked Elias Pettersson. But when George McPhee found out that Jim Benning was not going for Cody Glass, he backed off. And you know, it it's, it would have been a real bad look if they had traded up to get that top five pick taking Cody Glass anyway, and Elias Pettersson went one pick later and uh, became the player that he did. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, would love to see, I would love to see them move into the top three. I think it, what's probably more realistic, and based on George McPhee's history, is they're going to look for value in the latter half of the first round, and they'll be willing to trade up to get their guy, but I don't think they'd be willing to blow huge assets on, uh, on a young pick. Uh, talk about Shea Theodore a little bit because this is a guy who was almost, I mean, Anaheim, they had to protect so many defensemen. They couldn't protect him. They let him go. And from the moment he stepped into the, the NHL for Vegas, I've been just so impressed by him. I mean, he had 46 points this past season in 71 games. So it stands to reason if he plays the whole season, he's hitting 50. And it seems like 
partly because Vegas has so many good offensive players up front. They've got characters like Ryan Reeves, Marc-Andre Fleury. He almost kind of flies under the radar a bit, but what have you seen from him that makes him stand out, and what do you think his ceiling is? In terms of Shea Theodore's ceiling, I think there's going to be Norris talk for him in the next two or three years. He is easily Vegas's best defenseman, uh, and... What I like about Shea Theodore especially is that although he's incredibly talented in the offensive end, um, can dance the puck like very few players can, uh, he's pretty defensively responsible. And that's obviously grown over the last couple of years. Uh, but the way he's able to get himself back just because he's so much faster than everyone else, uh, he doesn't get scored on hardly ever. Uh, but like I say, the way that he can dance that puck... you know. It's it's reminiscent of some of the highest uh, highest paid forwards in the league, and so I think you'll see him uh, being the biggest mistake that the Ducks have made in in recent years. You know, you, you look at who's left from their decor uh, when the expansion draft happened. You know, they've traded away so many guys. Um, you know, S- Sammy Vatanen's gone. Um, I think. I can't. I can't remember the the rest of the guys that that are no longer there. But that that group of four that they protected, it, it's nowhere to be found. Yeah, yeah. I think they they had to keep Bieksa because of a no move, and that that pretty much exposed. And I think uh, I think you guys got another defenseman from from Anaheim. So Anaheim did force us to take Clayton Stoner's contract. That was the guy. Yeah, yeah he he only played a couple of uh, preseason games and, and never actually suited up in the regular season. So. If uh, if the reward for taking Clayton Stoner is a is a twenty one year old <laughs> Shea Theodore, uh, sign me up. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a win. I just talk about some of the uh, like I mentioned before the character guys. I mean, the city seems to love Mark Andre Fleury, um, Ryan Reeves. I, we've talked about him on this podcast before about, uh, and I, I'm still unsure if it's a, just a beer line or if he started his own company. But it seems like he's he's kind of a, a minor celebrity. In Vegas, yeah, Ryan Reeves. Uh, he's most famous right now for being on the uh, the Southern Nevada Water Authority commercials, where he uh, he body checks anybody who leaves their sprinklers on too long. Uh, <laughs> that's his big claim to fame right now. But he he does have the uh, the beer brand uh, Revo Seven Five Brewing, I think is what they call it. And you're exactly right. He's he's probably Vegas's first sports celebrity. Um, who is more famous for what he does off the ice than than on? He's he's a, a pretty decent uh, forechecking player, and I think everyone loves you know the, the the brawls that he gets in. But I wouldn't be entirely shocked if he plays maybe one more year here and retires. Huh. Um, he's older than people think. Uh, he's he's almost thirty five years old, but still skates pretty quick. Um, and Vegas really has come to love him. Every time he he picks the puck up uh, on the ice, the uh, the entire the entire arena comes out with a Reeves <laughs> chant. And you know it's it's hard to fault them for that. He's he was overpaid this season at uh, just under three million bucks a year. But all things considered, you you can't argue with uh, with a team spending up to the cap and maybe overpaying for a couple of players that. Maybe don't deserve the pay, but fill a role that no one else in the league really fills. So, when when it comes to the Vegas prospects, how do you feel like they're managing their roster? Are they actually developing them well, or do you think that uh, they could use some work in that area? You know, they've done a really nice job. They, they've been aggressive in going after undrafted free agents, and one of the biggest surprises this year was a guy by the name of Zach Whitecloud, who was a somewhat heralded undrafted free agent out of Bemidji State, but 
you know, I don't think anyone expected him to be a top four guy. But after one season in the AHL where he had the highest plus minus of any player in that league, and I know that's a flawed stat, but it's an, it's an easy one to call out. Uh, but he had the highest plus minus in the AHL last year. And this year he looked like a, a genuine top four guy um, as a 22-year-old undrafted defenseman. Um, in fact, he made the team over Nick Haig halfway through the year, and Nick Haig was a top 35 pick. So that's really impressive for for the Golden Knights uh, drafting and development team. They were able to turn him into a legitimate player. The same is true for a guy by the name of Dylan Coughlin, who's still plying his trade in the AHL. And they've been able to turn uh, some of their younger forwards into legit prospects, specifically Lucas Elvenis, who went from... 20 points in the SHL two years ago to almost 50 points in the AHL this year, which is obviously a huge step up. Jack, just jumping back to the NHL for a second here, I wanted to ask the goaltending situation. Uh, Flurry's under contract another couple of years. You've got Robin Lehner in town now, and we actually, Brandon and I, talked about this on our Pacific Division breakdown about that goaltending situation. Is Leonard a possibility to sign long-term? Or is he was he meant to just be a rental this year just for some added insurance for a playoff run? Yeah, I, I tend to believe he's probably just uh, playoff insurance. In, in a perfect world, I'm sure they'd love to keep him around. But especially with the cap going either to stay flat or, or going down this coming year, it's it's going to be next to impossible to keep him on the roster. They would need to move out a pretty big uh, salary piece, and the only one that would really fit that bill would be Paul Stastny, and I'm just not sure they're prepared to uh, lay all of their hopes at Cody Glass's feet uh, after the, f- the rookie season that he had. So I think they're going to keep uh, all of their forwards and defensemen in the fold, and Robin Leonard's probably going to go off to free agency and mm-hmm. make way more than any goalie should. <laughs> That's what July 1st is for, though, I thought. Yeah, exactly. Although it'll be curious to see when uh, when free agency happens this year, right? I mean, uh, if uh, if they start play back up in, in July or August and they don't have a free agency until September, you're going to see guys you know signing and having to start with their new teams in you know, a matter of two or three weeks. It's, it's going to be wild. Yeah, that is actually a great point because I was thinking about that recently about how for playoffs, yeah, you can't sign a guy, you know, you can't sign Robin Lander July 1st if you're, you know, Toronto, let's say, and load him up for the playoffs. So that'll be really interesting. But you know what, for Vegas, uh, and we, when we talked about our Pacific Division breakdown, Vegas is kind of our team in that division. Yeah. Um, arguably, the Oilers are there too, but uh, Vegas is just built top to bottom. So I mean, it, was this the year? Did you get that sense that this was going to be the year where they were going to be gearing up for another run? Yeah, I, I think that's why so many fans here are, are feeling nervous about whether or not the, the season is going to resume. Because, you know, obviously year one, you know, they had the, the magic season where they get to the final. Everything goes right for them. It, all of a sudden, William Carlson goes from six goals to 43. Uh, Jonathan Marcheseau is is a 65-point player. Riley Smith is a 65-point player. Heck, Eric Halla is a 60-point player in year one. And they get to the final, and their, their amazing run is ended by a team that couldn't win to save its life for, you know, for 35 years in the Washington Capitals. Um, 
And so I think that everyone felt okay with that. There, you know, year one, you're not supposed to win. So year two comes along, and it, it's a pretty solid regular season. They are up three games to one in the first round against the Sharks, and they just can't pull it out in games five or game six. Game seven comes along, and there's the infamous five-minute major for, for Cody Eakin. And it felt like the Golden Knights got robbed of a chance to make a deep run. And so I think everyone agreed that this was going to be their year. They had uh, a Max Pacioretty that was producing at the highest rate he had ever produced. He was on pace to have a career year. Mark Stone has been excellent. He, all of the players on the, the, the previous first line, your, your Carlson, Smith, and Marcia, so they were all producing. This seemed like the year... And then it all came to an abrupt halt. So if if they went out and spent their three second-round picks that they spent at the deadline and don't even get a chance at the playoffs, that's going to sting pretty bad. I'm glad you brought up last year, though, because and I didn't know if you wanted to get into this, but <laughs> I've, heard so many, I've heard so many different takes on that. And it, some people said, well, if, if Vegas just kills that five-minute major off, it's no big deal. We aren't even talking about this. People seem to also forget Vegas did tie it up late, too. It's almost a, an afterthought that the game did go to overtime. Yeah. Uh, people talk about that five-minute penalty, but what were your thoughts, and, and were you watching the game live when this was going on? And if so, what was going through your mind? Yeah, I, I was watching the game live, and I, it, you've all been there. You've been in that situation where you, you know your team is going to go on to the next round, you're, you've got a, a pretty sizable lead in a in a series clinching game, and you've got that just that nice calm smile on your face. <laughs> and I I remember, I mean, with precision, watching Cody Eakin shove Pavelski. Pavelski takes that weird fall when Stastny runs into him, and he just doesn't get up. And I remember just thinking, Oh God. <laughs> Oh, oh, God. <laughs> and the funny thing is, the Golden Knights are a great penalty-killing team. I mean, they have some amazing penalty killers. And if you go back and listen to the audio, I can still hear in my head Ray Ferraro announcing that William Carlson was, might be the best penalty killer in the league. And two seconds later, the Sharks score the first of those four, of, of those four goals. And, and they just kept raining down. It, it, it felt like a bad dream. And then when Marcia so tied it up, like you said, ties it up with just a minute left to take it to overtime, it seemed like, well, of course, of course they're going to win. They've been better than the Sharks all series, all game. And then with a minute left in overtime, Barkley Goodrow, of all people, first round <laughs> pick worthy Barkley Goodrow scores the, uh, the, the OT winner. And I... I I was at a, a bar near my near my house watching the game, and I remember walking home, and I couldn't walk through my front door. I, if I walked through my front front door, it was going to be real. The season was over, so I just kept walking around the block, <laughs> just just hoping that maybe I don't know. I, it was all going to be a bad dream, but no, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. It was a long summer. We traded away Nikita Gusev without ever seeing him take the ice. Uh, it was a it was a tough couple of months for us here. Uh, we we're in Vancouver, and and I got to ask you because this, I mean, you guys didn't lose properly unless you didn't like the city on fire. Did you yeah. see any cars? What the hell? Any looting? Was there anything like that? Flip a car. Uh, all I can say is, th thank God it was an away game because 
the the strip would have been torn <laughs> apart, absolutely <laughs> torn apart. Fraser sat on fire. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, every uh, every slot machine is just just set ablaze. <laughs> Craps tables flipped over. Oh, it's been brutal. Well, you, you guys still have a lot to learn, then. Okay, just just keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, you got to learn how to lose before you can learn how to win. Well, I'll tell you what. When we, when we meet up with the uh, the Canucks in in round one, you guys can show us how it's done. All right. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow. That's that's yeah, one that's that, hopeful that it uh, we, it even continues and. Oh, buddy, I think if the, the season starts again, I'm not actually feeling super hopeful for my Canucks, but that's that's for another day. <laughs> sure, sure. So, hey, uh, Ryan, did you have anything else to ask Jack that's hockey-related, or can we move on uh, for a couple of minutes to some uh, some other questions here? No, yeah, let's let's talk about Jack a little bit. I think we've covered off uh, the team from past or you know present to to future, but um, yeah, let's get into it. All right, so I mean. I, I I still make toilet paper for a living, so I I actually know what it's like to work in the asshole industry. <laughs> Are you still working as an attorney? I I am. Yeah, I uh, I've got a couple of uh, a couple of things that I do that I can't talk about, but one of the things that I do still do um, is uh, litigate for people uh, in a in a variety of contexts, uh, which is just a very uh, pompous way of saying yeah, I sue people sometimes, and uh, uh, and. Yeah, it, being a, a lawyer in Vegas is a, is a weird thing. Uh, my my very first month as a lawyer, you know, young, fresh faced kid, fresh out of law school. I was walking up the courthouse steps, and this homeless gentleman—that's how I'm going to refer to him—is just a homeless gentleman uh, from out of nowhere. Takes this running sprint and dives at me and tackles me. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Grabs me by the lapels. And this is, this is like, like I say, my first month of being an attorney. It says, get out of here, boy. Get out of here. You'll become part of the machine. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that really is what it is to be a, a lawyer in Vegas. There's a lot of weird characters. I, I've seen Flava Flav in the, uh, the courthouse on at least five occasions. Uh, you, you see quite a few people there. So it's, uh, it's an interesting place to be, but... Uh, Man, I, I'm happy to answer any questions you guys have. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I I can't stop picturing you having to show up to court in like a wetsuit or something. Like I just for some reason I figured like your workday must be just completely different than a regular lawyer's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's not as different as as you'd think, but the the people involved are, are certainly weird. I mean, you 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 get a lot of people that you think would belong in Vegas as clients. You know, people with gold chains and Ed right. Hardy T-shirts walking walking <laughs> through the door saying, "Hey, I've I got this problem." So, you know, you you yeah. have to filter out the uh, the Ed Hardy a holes. But uh, other than that, you know, it's it's not too different, right? I just imagine most of your time when a client walks in, you look at them and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah, you, you deserve to get sued. That, that, that makes sense. Oh, man. Oh, okay. How are you enjoying uh, life in quarantine? I know you mentioned you're still working right now, but is it, uh, I mean, you got family that you're, you're around or are you kind of just hanging out? Yeah, so uh, lawyers here are an essential service, but uh, I'll tell you, the last thing that the world needs right now is more people getting in the way and, and uh, making things more difficult, um, and that's what lawyers do. But uh, I've, I have enjoyed uh, a, little bit of t- a little bit of extra time off. My, I spend uh, all that time with my wife here in quarantine, and um, we, uh, we live right on a, uh, a nice little, we call it a lake. In, in reality, it's more of a swamp, um, and... Uh, 
we take our, our daily walks around the swamp and, and enjoy life uh, being pretty quiet here. And it's pretty unusual for Vegas. Uh, here, our, our grocery stores are open 24 hours a day. There's legitimately slot machines in every single grocery store in the uh, little smoking lounge at the front. So uh, those have all been shut down during the quarantine. So that's really the only difference for us. We're, you know, except that hockey is shut down. It, it's, it's been pretty enjoyable. So I'm I'm sorry I, I think I might have missed that. Were you saying there's a smoking section in the grocery stores for the slots? Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a relic from the '70s, but they still do it. Um, every grocery store usually has a, a a small room, probably about eight by ten, that's just jam packed with uh, with slot machines, and it's the only place in the grocery store you can smoke. And uh, you you see these. <laughs> 85-year-old ladies sitting in there, you know, playing video Kino or video blackjack. And, man, they, I, I, you have to think these, these old ladies are blowing their entire Social Security check uh, before they go in and buy their, their daily groceries. So it's, it's a little sad, but, you know, keeps the economy going. Oh, <laughs> hey, I, I'm curious because I've never been to Vegas myself. And it was one of those things where when I was 21, I thought, I'm going for sure and never ended up taking the trip. But... I, it seems like a lot of people. I've heard the the Golden Knights talk about this too. Is that there's more to Vegas than just the Strip? And and I was wondering if you could maybe share what what are some things that you do as a hobby that maybe you know doesn't involve gambling or you know going to strip clubs. Yeah, sure. So I mean, the, the truth is, the Vegas that everyone thinks about is a really small part of town. I mean, the the Las Vegas Strip is about seven miles long. And it, you go two blocks in either direction, and it really isn't any different than any other city. In fact, probably would remind a lot of people of Southern California, um, the same rolling suburban sprawl, a lot of the same track homes. Um, that's really what the city is made up of. And there's a, there's a whole other economy outside of the, the gaming economy that's like any other city you know, with, with lawyers, accountants, and, and manufacturing, all sorts of things. But in terms of, of fun things in Vegas, it really is a great outdoor town. Uh, there are three national parks within uh, a, a two-hour drive of here. Red Rock National Park um, is like a mini Grand Canyon. There's the Valley of Fire, which is, again, beautiful and, a, and an old Native American uh, historical site. And then the Grand Canyon is uh, just a 45-minute helicopter ride away. So those are some of the the outdoorsy things that people c come to do, and that makes mountain biking and rock climbing uh, re really popular here. And then there, there's also Lake Mead, which is not the most beautiful lake you've ever seen, but certainly allows for a lot of people to go out boating, um, and, and a lot of people like to, f to fish there too. It, in a lot of ways, uh, Vegas is a, is a nice cross between uh, the outdoorsiness of Utah and the suburban sprawl of Southern California. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's been on my list to make it down there for sure, but uh, haven't had a chance to yet. I'll have to figure that out when all the quarantine's over. I'd love to see a, a night's game actually until I, I looked at how expensive they are. I thought, holy shit, I'm going to have to wait a little bit. Yeah. You know, the, the ticket prices are, are, are a little bit tough to, to believe. <laughs> Sometimes your, your upper, upper bowl tickets are going for two twenty five for, for a good game. I mean, that's, that's I think more than what people in Toronto are oh. paying these days. So it's it's tough, um, but at the same time, I it's good to see that there's that kind of demand for hockey. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like I, you know, when I when I first bought my season tickets, I really did expect um, to be giving away my uh, my tickets the first year, thinking that it was going to be tough to get anyone to to go and sit in those uh, 
those seats. But obviously with the magic they had that first year, the, the, the fever has really never died down. Uh, did you make it to any games in 2018 during the run? Because I looked online as soon as Washington beat Tampa, and I think the cheapest seat I saw for game one was like $1,050 uh, U.S., which is about a quarter million up here. <laughs> so did you, end up, did you end up making it to any games? Yeah, I did. In fact, I, I've, I've been to every Golden Knights home playoff game there's been. Um, and the reason those tickets look so expensive is the Knights did something that got a little bit of bad press, but I thought it was a great idea is they gave a discount to all their season ticket holders on their season tickets. If they agreed not to sell them on, on any third party apps. And so that kept the entire crowd, uh, a home crowd through the entire playoff run. Um, and so that's why it was, you know, 2000 bucks to get in, uh, to, to any playoff game because Everybody there was a, a, a true blue uh, Golden Knights fan. Hmm. That is actually pretty cool. Yeah, that, that obviously contributes to the environment. I know we were just comparing the prices to, the, the, to having a ticket in Toronto, but, I mean, obviously the atmospheres don't compare, right? They always call Toronto a mausoleum. So if you're <laughs> going to spend the money, you might as well go somewhere where you're going to enjoy it. Exactly. You know, when everything opens up, come down to Vegas. We, we promise we, we won't open up before it's clean and healthy, despite what our mayor might say. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's one thing you've always heard about Vegas is the cleanest, healthiest place to be. <laughs> Hey, you know, 2020 goals, man. That's, we're, we're looking to change that image. <laughs> oh, man. Perfect. Well, all right, guys. I think that's going to do it for us. Um, I think we're out of time here, actually. So thanks so much for Jack Manning for joining us today. Jack, why don't you let the people know where they can find you? Yeah, it, the easiest way to find everything that I do is just follow me on Twitter at NHL Jack Manning. Um, otherwise, you can uh, see everything that I post on the, the GoldenKnightsWatch.com website where we post Golden Knights highlights, our daily uh, and weekly prospects uh, reviews, and all of our podcasts as well. So please... Check it out. And again, that's at NHL Jack Manning. And uh, guys, thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on. That's going to do it for us, guys. Thanks for listening from Ryan and Brandon. We'll catch you next time on the Hockey Minute. We'd like to take a second and thank you, the listener, for joining us. And a big thanks goes to our writers and production team, Jules, Mark, and Matt. We couldn't do this without you. That's going to do it for us. This is Brandon and Ryan. We'll talk to you next time on the Hockey Minute.